Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking details of an intense rescue effort underway in Squamish at this hour. Emergency crews were called out when witnesses saw three hikers go over Shannon Falls. Our Ted Chernecki is live near the scene and Ted Search and Rescue gave an update just a short time ago. What do we know? Yeah, Chris, within the last hour or so, they told us indeed they are looking for three individuals, but they couldn't even confirm which gender. We heard earlier from a witness who was up there around noon when this happened, saying that she saw a young man in his 20s come out, clothes wet, clothes torn, bleeding on the leg, pointing to these pools up there. These pools are very popular with hikers and also very dangerous. With recent warm weather, the glacier-fed Shannon Falls are on full display. Hundreds of hikers every day make it up these trails. Some go as high as the popular pools. And it's believed this is where today's emergency started. He was pointing up there. I heard pools and um, I knew there was other people up there. And There had been unconfirmed reports around noon that three hikers had vanished from sight, possibly having fallen into Shannon Falls. Three ambulances were allowed into the park below, now closed to the public, open only to search and rescue personnel. We made it to the top platform and we noticed an uh, uh, ambulance attendant and one of the hikers come out of the brush area and he looked pretty distraught and uh, when he made his way up to the, um, the trail, he was all cut up on the legs and he, had his, he was wet and he looked upset. And then late this afternoon, Squamish Search and Rescue confirmed that they are indeed looking for three people who fell into the water, not at the falls, but at one of those pools. I haven't seen the pools myself very closely, um, but they are a series of um, step pools that uh, then turn into the falls. And so uh, they've been surveying up there, and then uh, we just inserted some members um, close into there from the helicopter. It's a very strong current. Uh, it is not a place anyone should ever go close to. Even if there's a trail going right down to it, stay away. The rocks are slippery, even 10 feet up. Just don't get into that river. All right, and Ted, it's been more than six hours now since this first happened. Have uh, rescue crews given any indication what's their plan going forward tonight? Well, the search is very much still underway. Uh, they've been going for six hours, as you say, but uh, they're ferrying uh, search and rescue crews from both Squamish and Lions Bay up to that pools area, and they'll continue to do that, and they'll stay up there with their long lines and such until nightfall. And, of course, there's a lot of daylight still ahead, so they're still optimistic, but the search will continue until it's dark. We're hoping Chris? for good news. All right, thanks very much, Ted. Pitt Meadows RCMP are releasing new information about an accident over the long weekend. A car crashed into a power pole, and it turns out the woman behind the wheel had been shot. Ramina Dea tells us what we're learning about the victim and who RCMP are looking for. The motive unknown. 
but new details are now emerging about what happened moments before the female driver of this Fiat 500 was shot. So just previous to the incident, we do know that there was uh, words exchanged between our suspects and our victim. Any idea what those were? Can you share those? No. As you can imagine, she's in quite a bit of distress right now, so it's a bit difficult. The shooting went down Canada Day around 9 p.m. in Pitt Meadows. RCMP don't believe it's a case of road rage. The victim, a 36-year-old woman from North Vancouver, crashed into a power pole after she was shot. Police say she was targeted. We're confident right now that she was the intended victim of this shooting. Um, if there was any threat to the safety of the public, we would make sure that we revealed that information. Police continue to hunt for witnesses, dash cam video and surveillance footage. I gave them what I had. I'm, I'm not sure what was on it. Me and my family, we all work and live, live right here. So, you know, it's a little scary. The victim was shot multiple times. Investigators will only say her injuries are serious. The woman is known to police who say she has a significant criminal history. She's not tied to uh, gangs or drugs at this point. So, um, but yeah, there is a criminal history there. Investigators now looking for any tips from the public. Suspect vehicle number one, a silver Ford Focus with a Manitoba plate. The female driver traveling with a male passenger. Suspect vehicle number two, more vague, a dark pickup truck driven by a male. Romina Dea, Global News. The 20-year-old victim of a shooting in Abbotsford on Canada Day has now died. Officers responded to a home in the 2500 block of Bird Street around 6.15 Sunday night after receiving a 911 hang-up call. Paramedics arrived to find a man who'd been shot. That man succumbed to his injuries in hospital yesterday. The integrated homicide investigation team has now taken over the investigation. And almost nine months after it was formed, a gang violence task force is releasing six recommendations today to make Surrey streets safer. The ideas come as the city reels from yet another recent string of violent incidents. Grace Key has more on the recommendations and who they're targeting. The average age of a gang member is 23. They're 16 by the time they commit their first offense and as young as 10 when they get recruited. The Surrey Mayor's Task Force on Gang Violence Prevention has come out with six recommendations and there's an emphasis on the prevention and intervention of young people. A disproportionate number of our vulnerable youth are South Asian and we will ensure at-risk kids have access to those programs they want to engage in, such as Kabaddi or martial arts, through the successful Yo Bro and Yo Girl programs. The province is also stepping in with funding, $1.2 in additional money for the anti-bullying program Erase and $239,000 for the End Gang Life Exiting and Outreach Pilot Program. Similar to Bar Watch, Surrey RCMP will develop an inadmissible patron program that will keep gangsters out of licensed businesses. Their gang enforcement team will also be doubling in size. If you are involved in gang activity, you are not welcome in the city. You can run, you can hide, but we will hunt you down and expose you. We will ensure you are prosecuted and we will put you in jail. Last month, thousands attended a rally called Wake Up Surrey after two teenagers were shot and killed. This isn't the first time the city has come out with recommendations on combating gang violence. The mayor says programs are making a difference. And I did say that we've already over, had over 100 people 
go through that gang, ex reach out to the gang exiting program. To me, in and of itself, that's a great number. Grace Key, Global News. The man who killed Constable Sarah Beckett when he hit her police cruiser in April of 2016 is likely facing more jail time for a separate crash that happened only six weeks later. Kenneth Jacob Fenton pleaded guilty last month to impaired driving, resulting in bodily harm and failing to stop for police in an incident that occurred on May 22, 2016, just northwest of Victoria. Crown Council is asking for 18 months to be added to his four-year prison term. He is currently serving for the death of Constable Beckett. The defense is asking for 12 months. After hearing the arguments in a Duncan courtroom today, the judge reserved her decision and a date for sentencing will be set July 10th. There are serious concerns about a possible firebug at work in West Kelowna. The fears come after crews tackled a series of fires along a trail on the west face of Mount Boucherie. Investigators say they all appear to be suspicious. Thankfully, crews managed to quickly get the upper hand. And when we arrived, we found uh, five separate locations where fires were burning. Uh, they were fairly small, and we were able to get in and deal with them. Uh, you know, some really hard work to pull hose lines up the side of the mountain and, and get water to the fire, but they weren't growing, and, and that was one of the advantages we had yesterday was the weather was in our favor. No homes were threatened, and there is no major damage. Strong reaction today to a story we first reported on last night's news hour. A senior left for hours in the in the rain and cold on Canada Day waiting for an accessible taxi. Our John Hua asked Bel Air Taxi for an explanation and has more on what the Ministry of Transportation is doing to ensure this doesn't happen again. Take a look around and it's not hard to spot a Bel Air Taxi. But somehow Merle Smith was left soaking wet in her wheelchair, waiting with her sister for three hours in the rain for an accessible cab to show up on Canada Day. That's just not okay, that's not right. It's busy, right? It could have been Christmas, she would have been stuck there for four hours. It's unconscionable, this day and age. The longtime advocate once fought for taxi companies to get licenses for accessible cabs. She says her treatment was a slap in the face. Basically. They're breaking all the rules. Getting answers from Bel Air Taxi perhaps harder than catching one of their cabs. Taxi, can I help you? Global News was told over the phone the manager was in and would return our calls in 10 to 15 minutes. Sound familiar? Well, several hours, calls and messages later, and we're still waiting for a reply. I had to wait for like 45 minutes. They still hadn't came. According to the latest numbers that were taken less than a month ago, the three taxi companies in the Tri-Cities Bel Air, Coquitlam, and Port Coquitlam Taxi have a total of 118 vehicles. Of those, 19 are accessible cabs. I can imagine myself sitting for three hours in some godforsaken place, right? It's just not right. Smith claims accessible cabs are often used to pick up large groups from pubs or people with luggage. Other times left in the lot because the hybrid Priuses are cheaper to run. That leaves people with accessibility issues to take a back seat, which is a violation of the taxi licenses. There's an element of greed. The Ministry of Transportation writes the Passenger Transportation Branch is currently investigating this complaint to make sure appropriate steps are taken so this doesn't happen again. A Bel Air taxi manager did call Merle Smith to apologize. She says that's not enough. She wants to hear from the company's owner and a promise of change. John Hua, Global News.
Complete road closures kicked in on a busy stretch of East 1st Avenue today. The major thoroughfare is closed from Nanaimo to Clark Drive for two months as Fortis upgrades its natural gas line in Vancouver, Burnaby and Coquitlam. As many as 50,000 drivers use this route daily and despite being warned for weeks, day one caught many by surprise. Yeah, it's very, very big mess. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I did not know, actually. No? No. I, I'm going to follow those cars and see what, where to go. You're getting a lot of people trying to go through the side streets, 3rd uh, Avenue, 2nd Avenue, 4th Avenue, and you have, you know, schools and children there, and they're just flying by at 50, 60 K an hour. Businesses along the route want you to know they will remain open. Construction updates will be posted on Fortis BC's website. Pipeline opponents are taking their protest of Kinder Morgan's Trans Mountain expansion project to new heights today. Uh, take a look at this live shot from our Global One helicopter. Seven Greenpeace activists are still dangling from the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. Nadia Stewart has more on how long this aerial blockade is expected to last and their message to the Prime Minister. Their goal is to stop traffic, not above the Iron Wars Memorial Bridge, but beneath it, where Kinder Morgan tankers are expected to pass by. You know, I've got a little hammock set up here. I do have a flag there. William George is one of seven protesters. But right over there is the Kinder Morgan uh, facility that we are preventing tankers from leaving. Early Tuesday morning, a team with Greenpeace Canada managed to scale the underbelly of the bridge and then climb into hammocks dangling high above the Burrard Inlet. Five more protesters were positioned on the catwalk. Speaking with Global News via FaceTime, George says this is about getting the Prime Minister's attention. Uh, a lot's at stake here by, you know, Justin Trudeau, his lies, you know, is completely ignoring our rights. So. Um, it's, it's time to take bold action. In an email, Kinder Morgan said the protest had no impact on their operations because no vessels were scheduled to arrive at or depart from the terminal. But Greenpeace says Serene Sea, a tanker, was scheduled to leave port on Tuesday. Regardless, this is the latest anti-Trans Mountain demonstration, one of many coordinated by a well-organized network of pipeline protesters. They know that when they hang themselves from a bridge like that, they're going to get in the news. Their picture will be in The Guardian in London. Stuart Muir with ResourceWorks speaks for the pro-Trans Mountain contingent. He says this demonstration also doubles as a fundraiser for Greenpeace. Muir says Vancouver's port is not as susceptible to problems as protesters make it out to be. I think for the sensible person seeing the pictures, uh, they should... You know, think about the safety we've got in place because it is really as good as it gets. Obviously, those up here disagree. I'm prepared to be here for, uh, for a long time. And so the high stakes debate both for and against this pipeline remains as high as it's always been. Nadia Stork, Global News. They're definitely determined, but a new poll gives pipeline opponents little to cheer about. Our Keith Baldry joins us with more on those results. Keith? Yeah, so if you know, poll after poll shows the majority of public opinion is firmly on the side of building that pipeline. And only one political party nationally actually opposes the pipeline. That's the NDP, but it's not uh, translating into any support with the public. So the latest Ipsos poll done exclusively for Global News show the Conservatives now continue to maintain a slight lead over the Liberals, 37% to 33%. But the NDP, the anti-pipeline party, is far back at 21%. Now, when it comes to Justin Trudeau, the numbers are a little different. He's actually going up in public opinion. 
opinion. 55% now uh, give a favorable vote uh, for his approval rating uh, for Mr. Trudeau. Again, he, of course, is the leader of a government that's buying the pipeline and vows to build it. Now, back to the Kinder Morgan. Uh, Trans Mountain today released the travel schedule uh, or the construction schedule that sets to begin this summer. Construction will begin on the pipeline starting in August in Alberta, September in North Thompson, and July in Burnaby. So those protests you saw today are going to continue all through the summer. Sophie? All right. We'll see how it all unfolds. Keith, thank you. Okay. More evidence tonight that it's a major struggle to make ends meet and own a home in Vancouver. According to RBC, Vancouver home ownership costs reached their highest levels on record in the first quarter of 2018. It now takes about 88% of average household income to manage a home in that city. That's covering the mortgage, utilities, and property taxes. And that's up from 78% just last year. And with the expectation for interest rates to rise, experts say housing affordability will be further stressed. Right now, though, more growing pains tonight from Canada's marijuana industry, and it has nothing to do with driving or dispensaries. Tanya Beja tells us why some Alder Grove residents say a government-approved cannabis farm is making their neighborhood miserable. Steve Dreisey bought his Alder Grove property eight years ago, looking for somewhere quiet to raise the family. But he says a new neighbor has turned his slice of paradise into a place he'd rather escape. You put a lot of money and a lot of time and effort into a property and within six months, somebody can come and ruin your total enjoyment of it. This is one of the irritants Dreisey and his neighbors say they face all day, every day. The noise at night is just deafening. Keeps you from sleeping. The other is the smell. It's essential oils. There's blowing into the air to try and neutralize the odor of the cannabis. So that's why you get the smell of Febreze and then you get the smell of skunk. The offensive outputs coming from a licensed marijuana grow operation across the street. Canopy Growth Corporation took over the greenhouses that used to produce peppers. At 30 acres, the facility is now one of the largest of its kind in the world. There's days where you can't open the windows or the doors then the smell still gets in the house. We are taking this very seriously. We don't want to be a nuisance to the neighbours. Um, we've tried a number of, uh, of different technologies and we've made a number of investments. You know, we're up past the million dollar mark in terms of monetary investment uh, to be able to deal with this problem. The company says it met Health Canada regulations on air filtration in order to obtain a license. Health Canada says noise complaints are the municipality's concern. But in this case, since the facility is on agricultural land, the province sets the rules and the township of Langley's mayor wants to see action. Well, one thing we've asked for, and I know other municipalities have done the same, is to ask the province for a moratorium on further uh, grow operations in the agriculture area until they get the regulations uh, set, until the, the industry can, uh, can deal with the problems. Something area residents say can't come soon enough. Tanya Beja, Global News. Orchards in the Okanagan could soon have a new high-tech method of judging whether their crops are ready for harvest. As Global Okanagan's Shelby Tom reports, researchers are trying to put bulky existing technology into the palm of their hands. Cherries are sweet business for Okanagan fruit growers. The lucrative fruit yields high prices from international consumers. But shipping cherries overseas is a high-stakes game. Every container carries around $100,000 worth of fruit. Maintaining quality is paramount. 16.6. That's where the Summerland Research and Development Centre comes in. The BC cherry industry has quite a good reputation and we ship fruit all over the world. 
So we want to keep that quality high. These researchers are developing a device that measures the quality of the fruit while it still hangs on the tree. We're looking to, to wow our customers with our born in BC kind of flavor. This device is called an optical spectrometer. It works by admitting light on the surface of the fruit and analyzing the sugar content. The data is sent to a smartphone app and provides a ranking poor to excellent. So you can start to understand what part of the orchard you should be harvesting first. Researchers say growers could see a 10 to 20 percent increase in returns due to improved quality control. People who know that they're getting a good quality are going to pay you a premium price for your product. Growers are eager to get their hands on the game-changing device. Well, there's a lot of excitement. I'm getting calls all the time right now. But they'll have to wait until next summer. The scientists say after years of research, getting it into the hands of orchardists will be the cherry on top. It's been really exciting. Shelby Tom, Global News, Summerland. Langley's Critter Care has Instagrammed some video of two of its newest patients. The two orphaned cubs were found in North Vancouver in late May, and they are pretty cute. They had both fallen out of a tree during their capture, but a checkup found no serious injuries. Critter has named them Seymour and River, and they're aiming to release them back into the wild when they're ready, both doing it. And clearly loving water. Yeah, I feel like River is not the one who dunked his face in the water and then made a big face about yeah, it. You're probably right. Counterflow is out here at the Massey Tunnel. What you're looking at is northbound traffic out of Delta, finally starting to ease off after a super busy evening commute. It's still slow, though, on the approach from Highway 17A. Need a new summer ride? Get a Mitsubishi Outlander, the versatile SUV with available super all-wheel control. Choose between eight weeks on them, accessory credits, and more. MitsubishiMotors.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 99 and the Massey Tunnel. Firefighters across several American states are battling destructive wildfires. The Dollar Ridge fire in Utah has scorched more than 120 square kilometers and forced the evacuation of 300 homes. Colorado's Spring Fire has now destroyed more than 100 homes and burned through more than 320 square kilometers. Police say this was arson. A 52-year-old man has been arrested. And in central Oregon, the Mecca fire has forced a number of homeowners to evacuate. It's also shut down a main highway. Also, a monster wildfire in Northern California has burned nearly 200 square kilometers. Wind, high heat, and low humidity are driving the flames, and the smoke is making the air quality poor in a number of cities. Well, the joy of finding the boys' soccer team trapped for days in a Thai cave has been replaced by the harsh reality of what it's going to take to get them out. Experts are warning it could be months before the 12 boys and their coach see the light of day. Tonight, 24 hours after that miraculous discovery. How many of you? 13. Brilliant. Thai officials say the 12 boys, ages 11 to 16, and their coach are all in stable condition. The huge challenge, getting them out. One option, starting the rescue now. Oxygen tanks have now been placed along the exit route. But none of the boys knows how to swim, so they're scrambling to teach them diving skills to navigate tight tunnels that are tricky even for experienced divers. 
Two rescue divers would be assigned to help each boy on a dangerous two-and-a-half-mile trip, at some points too narrow to wear scuba gear, other parts needing a steep dive. Think of looking through a, a glass coffee cup where you, you, there's no visibility. Then on top of that, there's very narrow passageways. So the divers needed to run lines in order to be able to get in and get out. The group appearing thin. They're now getting high-protein liquid food that's easily digestible. This official tells us a team of medics is there too. Only four people can be in the cave with the boys to ensure there's enough air to breathe. Tonight, the British diving group that discovered the soccer team is warning a rescue now is risky, especially if the kids panic. They talk about teaching them to dive and then do it. That's a bit of a long shot, to be honest. Another option, keeping the kids underground and sending them supplies until the waters recede. Authorities have been trying for days to pump the flood water out. And there's more rain in the forecast, meaning it could be weeks, even months, before they're safely out. After three to four months, but two Thai Navy doctors have volunteered to be locked up inside the cave, a huge sacrifice. And tonight, teams have been trying to establish a phone line inside the cave so the boys can talk to their families and know they aren't alone as they wait. Divers, meanwhile, are trying to reassure the boys that more than a thousand people are doing everything they can to get them home. Many people are coming. Many, many people. We are the first. Many people come. And another incredible survival story off the coast of Cuba. A cruise ship worker is recovering after falling overboard Saturday and spending 22 hours in the water. After an exhaustive search by the Coast Guard, the 33-year-old was finally found by another cruise ship and is recovering now. And the Sheriff's Office in Minnesota posting video of a car that had plunged into a sinkhole after part of a road had been washed out. They say the 16-year-old driver managed to escape without serious injuries thanks to his seatbelt and the airbags. Well, we all know that personal space and legroom has pretty much disappeared on commercial flights. But is that actually a safety hazard? One organization believes airlines are putting your health at risk just to raise profits. NBC's Tom Costello reports. It's up to aircraft manufacturers to prove that every passenger can get out of a plane within 90 seconds with half the exits blocked. But look closely at these tests. Most people are young and fit and no one reaches for a carry-on bag. Critics say it's simply not representative of a modern seatcraft plane filled with young and old passengers, many of whom are obese. Lives are at stake here. We need to make sure that the FAA and the manufacturers are actually testing full-scale demonstrations. But today, the FAA said the tests prove planes can be evacuated in time. And the FAA does not need to regulate airline legroom and seat sizes, which have been shrinking even though three out of four Americans are now overweight. In a court filing, the FAA says there is no evidence that seat dimensions hamper the speed of passenger evacuation. From the miracle on the Hudson to a fiery explosion in Chicago to a crash in Denver, every passenger has gotten out. The FAA says those emergencies prove passengers are getting out alive. So for now, don't look for your airline seat to get any bigger. 
Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. And in health matters tonight, a disease that often gets very little attention, juvenile arthritis. It's every bit as debilitating as adult arthritis, and 25% of young people who have it will always have it. Squire Barnes talks to young patients trying to change that. It was at the age of 20 months that Cassie first showed the sign of juvenile arthritis. I took her out of bed one morning and she, she wouldn't walk. Not couldn't because she'd walked that day before. It was 20 months, so she was walking. She wouldn't walk. And her leg kept buckling underneath her. Around eight years earlier, Allison showed signs of juvenile arthritis in a different way. Uh, I was diagnosed at three, um, or, and I think I symptoms started at two and a half when in my right elbow. Um, I couldn't straighten it, and then it kind of spread um, to like my wrists, ankles, toes, knees, and my jaw. Like 26,000 others in Canada, both Allison and Cassie have benefited from advancements in treatment, but they haven't outgrown it. That's a common myth, is that childhood or children grow out of arthritis. And it's an unfortunate myth because people use that to justify saying, well, maybe we don't need to treat this, they're going to grow out of it. It turns out that at least 60% of kids that have arthritis continue to have arthritis that's active into adulthood. Have you got a family As a young adult, Allison has joined forces with Cassie and Friends, which was formed to help raise money for research and support programs for families dealing with juvenile arthritis. We all want a cure, and, we all, and, and that's going to happen one day. But every day, these kids are going to wake up, and they're going to be in pain. And until there's a cure, that's going to happen. So we knew that we also need to help these kids and families every day. Because for those who have it, they know it's more than just physical. It doesn't matter if you've never had anxiety or depression or any sort of mental health problems in the past. Like waking up every day in pain is going to impact you mentally. And that's something that we want to, we want to make it okay for kids to talk about. You an alleged privacy problem with some Samsung phones and major potential for embarrassment coming up right after the forecast. Hmm. Oopsies, be careful. Strange. Yes. What you do with your phone. <laughs> All right, Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at our weather <clears throat> forecast. And June wasn't as January-ish as we were thinking. That's right. I would say it was close to normal June is what we had. Here's a look at the numbers. So days with rain, 11, right near average. We had a little bit below uh, normal conditions in terms of the amount of rainfall, but the mean temperature was right near average. One thing I wanted to mention, though, the days with rain, we actually had about three, no, four days of, of rainfall, but just not as much rainfall, but it did mean cloud and drizzle. So I think that was the key to this, everyone. The fact that the fire danger rating is low. We had a fair amount of uh, cloud, drizzly, or showery days, and that has kept the fire danger rating low. And unfortunately, that meant your long weekend was a little, mm. uh, This, though, could change. I wanted to just quickly mention, even with this very low rating, we still had 
three new human-caused fires in the past 24 hours, everyone. And this can change quickly, especially considering we've got great weather on the way for you. Here's a look at this evening. So still a number of showers, but it's going to clear out overnight, everyone. This low here staying offshore, not moving onshore until late in the week. So lots of sunshine, just a slight chance of an isolated shower or thunderstorm in through the interior regions tomorrow, just with a bit of instability. Otherwise, right into Thursday morning, we are going to be dry across the region. Temperatures are going to spike, and then it's Friday and into the weekend that things break down. Yes, unfortunately, just in time for your weekend, but you have a couple of, well, two to three days of great weather on the way. So there's a look at it. Beautiful across the north. These temperatures are back to near seasonal conditions. Again, a slight chance of an isolated shower or thunderstorm in the afternoon. That extends down into William, sorry, Williams Lake and Kamloops, but not further south of there. Kelowna and Asoya should be okay. Nice 26 degrees in Kelowna, but keep in mind, it is going to get very hot. We're talking about mid-30s on Thursday through the West Kootenai region, some Thompson Okanagan regions as well. Wednesday, 23 to 27 for Metro Vancouver, always warmer away from the water. Two great days on the way. Friday's just a transition day, but it's as we head towards our Saturday that the showers return to the forecast. And a great photo from Aldergrove. Yvette sent us this. Her, she got a little guy <laughs> checking out, I don't know, a little, was it tricycle or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's well, hilarious. I know, it's too funny. No longer water skiing. He's given up the water skis. <laughs> He's going to go cycling instead. Good for him. He needs to wear a helmet, though. That's true. Good <laughs> advice. Hey, Samsung is looking into some serious privacy complaints involving some of its Galaxy smartphones. Some customers say the S9 and Note 8 are sending pictures to their contacts without their permission. Online community forums are reporting that the problem started following a Samsung Messages update. Samsung says it is investigating, but its tech teams have yet to find a, so a software or hardware issue. Puzzling indeed. I guess don't take pictures that you wouldn't want someone in your contacts <laughs> list to see. So productivity went down a little bit in the newsroom Yeah. Uh, around midday today. Just a little bit. Pubs we were jammed. It was interesting because we don't have as many Englishmen in the newsroom as we used to. No, this place was run by Brits a few years but ago. Years, but yes. the culture just sort of set in. Well, you just sort of follow what you're originally <laughs> leading, being led to believe. Uh, okay, there is nothing an English football fan fears more than penalty kicks. The most frightening movie you could make in England would be nothing but two hours of penalty kick shootouts. Everybody would be like this. England has now been beaten or had been beaten in six straight penalty kick shootouts in both the World Cup and the Euros. And today their greatest fear reared its ugly head again against Colombia. And it was a knockout game. It's the British against Colombia. British Colombia. Get it? Okay, here's a penalty kick. They don't mind this. Harry Kane scoring in the second half to give England a 1-0 lead. But then, I don't know, England kind of played a little too defensive after that. Didn't go as hard for the second goal as they should have, and it cost them because late in the game, injury time, Yerry Mina ties it. Now, the English think, oh, not this again. Penalty kicks. It's tied 3-3. Fifth kick for Columbia. Jordan Pickford, the hand of fate, this time belongs to the English. It's a left hand, and my dad. Great save, but still, Eric Dyer has to get this one in for the win to exercise the ghosts of so many past disappointments, and England does it. 
they are on to the quarterfinals and Columbia is out. And Harry Kane is the most popular Harry in England right now, even more than the Prince. Sweden and Switzerland in an earlier game, winner to play England. It's always a Forsberg with Sweden, isn't it? Emil Forsberg there, this one deflects off Manuel Akanji, and that killed the Swiss and sent the Swedes to the great eight. And here's how it matches up in the quarterfinals. Two games in the sixth, two games in the seventh. Uruguay, France, winner of that, plays the winner of Brazil, Belgium. Croatia, Russia, winner of that, plays the winner of Sweden and England. Quinn Hughes was over his illness and on the ice at the Canucks Prospects Camp today. He isn't big, but his talent and potential are. Providing he can make the jump to the NHL, he is exactly the kind of defenseman the Canucks have been needing for years. Someone who can lead the attack from the back. Because right now, there is no defenseman on Vancouver's roster that can do that. Vancouver selects from the University of Michigan, Quinn Hughes. I think I'm a pretty confident kid, and I'm very confident in my abilities. So, you know, obviously I want to believe I think I can um, play in the NHL, but I know that's a, it's a really hard league. It's obviously the best league in the world. And, you know, not a lot of 18-year-olds come in, especially defensemen come in and, and play. So... Quinn Hughes could be the exception to that unwritten rule. The Canucks' first-round draft pick has all the makings of being that slick-skating, puck-moving, blue-line quarterback that NHL teams dream of calling their own. Hughes arguably the second-best D-man available in the draft, who nobody expected to be around when Vancouver selected seventh, including the Canucks. I was so happy because, like, we wanted a defenseman. We wanted a, you know, a skating defenseman, a power play guy that could push the play and... Um, you know, I think we got a little bit lucky there, and he's a perfect fit for our group moving forward. Um, so I, I was, I did though get too excited on that one. What a shot! Head up the entire time. I think my mind and hockey sense is something that um, you know truly separates me. Um, you know, you see a lot of good skaters out there, but uh, you, you guys know the game is so fast. I learned that at the World Championships, and I'm sure in the NHL it's even faster than that. Um, with the smaller ice sheet. So, uh, you know, I think if you can't think, you can't play. So I think for me, um, the way I think, I, I think that would that'd be my biggest, uh, you know, um, strength. Where Hughes will be applying those strengths this upcoming season remains up in the air. There's been no contract talks as of yet, but those talks should start up at some point this week. As for if he's ready to make the big jump, look no further than the recent World Hockey Championships. The 18-year-old was the youngest ever American to play for the U.S. as the Americans won bronze. I was sitting next to Patrick Kane in the locker room. Um, he was unbelievable with me, and just being around pro guys really helped, and, um, you know, just picking their brain and stuff like that. Obviously, it was a good gauge for me to see where my game's at, and, uh, you know, I thought I played really well over there. I, I really um, felt comfortable with my game. The kid is, is incredibly willing. He's, he's motivated. Um, and uh, he, he's, he's a sponge to anything that, that we're going to throw at him. So he, he does things with the puck, his skating ability. He changes the way, um, the course of a game because it, it, it's, uh, he's got an elite, elite level of skating. Jay Janower, Global Sports. There was a time not too long ago when Zee Bouchard was a big star at Wimbledon. Now she's got to fight her way back up. Gabriella Taylor, her opponent today. Bouchard won the first set easily, six love. She lost the second set, but she would win the third set. 
6-3 to get to round number two. Hospital was out there today. Didn't have the same result as Bouchard, but Denis Shapovalov did, defeating Jeremy Chardy in four sets. Should mention Sharapova got knocked out. Rafael Nadal was a win. Sharapova, first round. I know. Well, it happens to the best of us. Apparently so. Look at what happened to the Germans in the World Cup. Good Group point. stage, Good you're point. out. Don't remind me. All right, thank you very much, Squire. You're welcome. Coming up on ET Canada, Drake and Cardi B break records, but not everybody's happy about it. Plus, it's Evangeline Lilly on how her superhero role has inspired her own son. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thank you very much, Cheryl. Well, if you love getting a new car and have a hard time deciding what you want, a car subscription may be just the thing for you. Think of it as a no-hassle alternative for those who just aren't into long-term relationships with their vehicles. Julie Fry says she's been looking for a way to rev up her ride. You kind of get sick of driving the same car, you know, every day. So when she learned about a new car leasing program that gives her the ability to change her car every two weeks, she put the pedal to the metal. You know, I have a lot of yard work coming up and I'm going to have to flip into a pickup truck. With car sales dipping 2% this year and fewer millennials behind the wheel, car companies are trying to break the mold on traditional leasing and buying. Now, brands like Ford, Cadillac, and Volvo are starting car subscriptions, allowing you to swap cars in and out at your local dealership when you want. When my car gets dirty, I can just flip it. The change is that people are wanting a more seamless experience from start to finish. But more convenience does mean more money. Julie's program is $950 a month, which gets her delivery, insurance, maintenance, and a choice of 40 cars. Though experts say watch out for high sign-up fees. Automakers are charging a premium for subscription services because you do get the convenience, you get the flexibility. That's all priced in. A changing auto industry switching gears on how you drive this summer. Jolene Kent, NBC News, Los Angeles. So they get mm. new cars? New cars. Okay. Well, if you get the new car smell every time, that's worth <laughs> the extra couple that's of bucks. That might be worth the extra money. Uh, there are a couple operating in Canada. Uh, it literally just launched the Auto One Group, apparently, is offering car subscriptions in Vancouver, Toronto, and Halifax. Also, Volvo, if you call a Volvo dealership, apparently they're uh, into it too. It may not be available quite yet, but it mm. is happening in Canada for them as well. So but these ones are one month. Instead of one month. Straight. Auto One is one month, but, but the shorter terms may exist at some of the other dealers, too. So give it a shot. Mm-hmm. I'm keeping the one I got right now, though. I know that. <laughs> you love your car. I love yeah, my car. Okay. <laughs> That's all for us. Have a good evening. See ya.